The Athletic. Totally Football Show Europe. Today, Bundesliga. Alles good at Dortmund and Jawal for Bayern. Italy, Milan taken to the cleaner in Derby della Madonnina. There's Barcelona going eight points clear in La Liga while Real try their luck at the Club World Cup. And in France, PSG saying Messi beaucoup and Marseille just getting Messi with a midweek classic coming up in the Cup. All that and more coming up in this Totally Football Show. All right, time for another European Totally here with my homies. Been hanging for a bit, just chatting with uh, Raphael Honigstein. Hello. Hi, Raph. Alvaro Romeo. Hello. Julien Laurent. Bonjour. Bonjour to you, Jules. No James Horncaster, sorry about that. No, he's on his way to Milano. Milan, darling. But he will be popping in at judicious points of the programme. Like when we do our moments of the week, he's got a moment of the week for us. Wow. Maybe he didn't like the fact that we were all together last week. That was a bit too much touching. Yeah, it was too much touching. Too much. Too much touching. Uh, Alvaro, can I ask, who's this uh, Spanish fella who's going to be taking over at Leeds? Well, Andoni Raola. Let's see. Let's see if that happens. Uh, I find it unlikely, to Where's be honest. Where's he from? Uh, he's from... Guipuzcoa, which is one of the provinces of the Basque Country. Where, where does he manage? Uh, he manages Rayo Vallecano. He's oh. a former Athletic Club Bilbao one-club man. And uh, he's doing very well with Rayo to the point right. that Rayo is fifth in La Liga. But I think that um, right now he's very focused on uh, what he's doing with Rayo Vallecano. And I would find it a little bit unlike Andoni Raola to live in the middle of the season personally. Okay. Anybody got any hot word on any of the other candidates? Has Raul has been mentioned, no? Has Raul, Raul been mentioned? Seriously? Yeah, I think yeah. so. Apparently he's turned it down, I'm hearing from guest producer Jesse. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I didn't say he would get it. I'm saying like he was mentioned, which again, I'm so bit, considering the situation they're in, you yeah. wouldn't, surely you would need someone with a bit of experience and, a, you know, like not just go Someone like R- Ralph Hasenhutl also mentioned, but he might be lined up for another job right now. Being linked to Hoffenheim. Although I'm not entirely convinced it'd be a great fit. He's also, I think, still technically either on the contract or getting compensated for a contract that ran until 2024 initially with Southampton. So Mm. I think he'll be very careful before jumping into the next adventure. Mm. All right. We don't know. Maybe you do, listener, by the time this reaches your ears. So uh, let's park that for now and catch up on some of the European on-field thrills. How about some moments of the weekend, Rafa? Only one place, James. And that is the Signal Iduna Park on Saturday. Five minutes into the second half, Sebastian Allaire scored. His first goal for Dortmund. His first goal, of course, since coming back from testicular cancer. The whole stadium was on their feet. It was very emotional, very moving. And it happened on World Cancer Day, which Dortmund had referenced in a pre-kickoff little uh, presentation where they drew a bulb not a bulb um a uh, i'm quite concerned what you might be uh, <laughs> a bulge a bulge they drew a bulge? a bulge yeah they drew a bulge on the center circle okay oh like a, a lump like a lump oh yeah gotcha right okay. and sebastian there did a little presentation before the game saying you know make sure that you have preventative checks mm. and this sort of stuff. And yeah, you couldn't have had a better message 
than actually scoring and coming back from this. Well, indeed. Alvaro. My moment of the week, it's this one. That is, el año que viene, Rayo Liverpool. This ah. is uh, Rayo Vallecano, fans singing, next year, Rayo Liverpool. This is not the first time that they sing this, uh -huh. because every time Rayo is neighboring European places Because they Liga, want to get into the Conference League. They want to get into the Conference League. It's, it's looking like that for Liverpool, who knows? Um, Europa League, Champions League, whatever, but they will be very happy with the Conference League. And mm. Right now, they are fifth in La Liga. Their manager is Andoni Raola, as we spoke before. And he's doing a brilliant job, and the progression of... Uh, Rayo has been pretty much linear. I mean, they were in the second division in 2020, got promoted. Last season, they did fantastic in La Liga. They see, this season, they are doing even better with a few players who are actually catching the eye of everyone. One of them, Isi Palazón, a fantastic midfielder. Mm. And, you know, this is definitely the moment of the weekend. I mean, we are into match, ga uh, match day 20 in La Liga, and Rayo is fifth, only three points away from the Champions League. Incredible. Rayo Sunshine. Mm. Uh, Jules <laughs> I picked a goal in the second division in mm. Ligue 2 because it was one of the goals of the oh. season already in all voilà. leagues together uh, Junior Oletan Ishola who plays for Nior who you know has struggling uh, not to go down and after 20 minutes in the game against Dijon saw that the Dijon goalkeeper was ahead of his line so from 60 meters I don't know how many of your weird yards that is but it's a, it's, a, it's many yards just love the keeper. An amazing goal. I mean, they've been scored before, you know. Uh, mm. Memphis Depay in Ligue 1, Abil Fikir. Yeah, and we've seen, we've seen them. But they're still lovely when you see them. And you're like, wow, okay. And for such a young player who never scored. Seriously. Never scored in never the, fir scored. the first team. Never, ever. So at 20, it's a special That's moment. remarkable. Yeah. He never scored a goal for the first team. Mm. And he thinks, I'll just try just this one from my own half. <laughs> Why not? So well done to Junior. Well done. Okay. As I mentioned, James Horncastle currently on his way to Milan. Big stories happening there. But this is his moment of the weekend. My moment of the weekend is in Florence, James. Uh, it's a goal that never was. And it's uh, Ricky Saponara, uh, a great scissor kick um, against Bologna in the Apennine derby, which hit the bar. But it deserved to kiss the bottom of the bar and go in. It was just an exquisite piece of skill, mm. uh, reminiscent Quite of... Carlo Parola, um, right. who was Except his the went in, famously. His went, <laughs> yeah. No, his did not go in. His was a oh, defensive clearance. It was a defensive clearance. Ah, yeah. really? Yeah. Okay. And right. if, if listeners are still wondering what James and I are talking about, for many, many decades, the uh, symbol of Panini for your sticker albums, particularly in Italy, was a scissor kick, which was done by this formerly Juventus player by, uh, called Carlo Parola, uh, Charles Word. Uh, if you want to, uh, if you want to translate his name, <laughs> and um, yeah, Saponara pretty much emulated it, but he hit the bar instead. So there you go. I th and I, th I think, I mean, Parolo's a it was such an unusual kind of gesture technical at, 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 the, at the time. People really, I don't think, had seen that kind of thing before. But also, it was the fact that it was photographed so beautifully. Yeah, uh, which can't have been easy, you know, with the technology of the time. Anyway, lovely stuff. Good. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network and sponsored by LiveScore Bet. You can get the latest football betting odds at LiveScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Du kommt ihn jetzt zurück zu Guerrero. Flanke vom Strafraum. Er kommt vorbei! Yeah! Sebastian! Ole! Sebastian! 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 
Alea in der 51. Minute. Wieder ein Tor nach einer Ecke. There you go. Your moment of the week. Rafa. It was, James, yes. And uh, part of a, a whopping win for Borussia Dortmund. And what was a big game? They were taking on the side immediately, their immediate neighbours in the uh, the top four battle, Freiburg, and they beat them 5-1. All the top three won in the Bundesliga. Union stayed one point behind Bayern, beating Mainz 2-1. And Bayern Munich got their first victory of 2023 up against their former boss, Niko Kovac, and his Wolfsburg. Yeah, and they were very efficient, actually, because they didn't create that many chances, but took them very well. Kingsley Coman with, with a cross that turned shot and a wonderful volley um, for yes. his second goal. Good header from Thomas Müller. Good cross from uh, Joao Concello, who's already had a big impact, um, certainly going forward. And then the pick of the bunch. And on another day and another week would have been my moment of the week a wonder goal from Jamal Muziala. I would urge everyone listening to this pod to look for this goal because it is an all-time classic. Uh, picking up the ball from very near the uh, the touchline and then going on this sort of diagonal run. And I think by the time he scores, he passed he would have passed seven Wolfsburg players, or I think eight. I think he passes one of them t- twice. They catch up with him and then he goes uh, goes past him again. Just in his typical sort of snake-like movement, um, you don't really understand how he's getting through all these bodies, but he somehow does. Wonderful goal. At that moment, Bayern were down to 10 men. Jose Kimmich mm-hmm. had been sent off. And they looked shaky defensively. Wolfsburg played well. Could have scored more goals. But Bayern in front of goal just were a little bit better. Um, but still, I think one or two question marks about just how solid they are mm. going into well a pivotal time of their season. All right, and uh, only the one point their lead. In fact, the top three separated by three points with Union there in second place. Dortmund, though, beyond the Allaire uh, factor, terrific performance in what was a key game. Again, they were favoured by the fact that there was a red card for the opposition, though. After only 15 minutes, mm. uh, Sildilia. But, uh, yeah, Dortmund looked... Probably as good as they have done all season. The attack really clicked. I mean, it does help playing against <laughs> against uh, one fewer man. But uh, some real signs of encouragement. I think Sebastian Allaire's presence makes a difference as a focal point because uh, Yusufu Mokuko is not the same player. Anthony Modest is not quite the same player. And also Karim Adeyemi being on the left has had a surprisingly positive impact. Uh, he scored again and looked really good. He also broke the record of the fastest ever Bundesliga player, north of 36 kilometers an hour. So things get moving hmm. in the right direction for Very the Dortmund nice. team. Another big win this weekend came for Borkum, who got their fourth straight win at home, 5-2 winners over Hoffenheim, a game which saw Hoffenheim ruthlessly binning their manager, Andre Breitenreiter. Yeah, nine games without a win in the league. Uh, ten if you include the cup exit in midweek against RB Leipzig. So it, the, the writing was very much on the wall for André Breitenreiter. And Hoffenheim are repeating the story that they had last year because you might remember Sebastian Hoeneß was doing really well. They looked like as if they might be going for a uh, Champions League or at least Europa League place. The same here. They started really well. I think they were fourth after ten, ten games, I think, yeah. 
And since then, they've crashed down. Let's see if a different manager can, can save them. I mean, it's the sort of club that not many tears would be shed if they were to to go down because they have very few fans, no real sense of tradition or history, and they took only about 400 people to Bochum, but it looked, in the ground, it looked as if there were 10 people there. I mean, it reminded me of Monaco home game. Really? Um, the, yeah, the, it was so sparsely. That's bad. The German really Getafe. Like. The German mm. Getafe. In a way. No, sorry, I didn't want to say this. No, it's okay. <laughs> I don't take it personally. All right. Maybe Getafe the German, fans do. The German Getafe. The German Getafe. <laughs> Excellent. Rafa, before we move on, though, Cancelo, a little bit more in, in depth there. You mentioned he's been particularly effective going forward. Is that where his duties lie? How's he, how's he fitted in so far? Well, he's fitted in really well. He's played in midweek. He played as part of a, a five defence, really, but he was really a winger, uh, very high up the pitch. And they played in the four um, against Wolfsburg. I think there is still a concern that he is not the most natural of defenders but with the ball as a almost a auxiliary winger he's really superb and his crossing and his movement his intelligence is is very good and Julian Nagelsmann likes to do the thing that Guardiola does which is to push at least one of the wide defenders whether that's a fullback or a wingback inside and he does that so well because he's like a midfielder and that's uh, that's really helped Bayern Okay, Bayern have Borkham coming up next week. Jules, we have to mention the the interview that that oh, put the club on fire. Yeah, I was wondering when. I he mean, did. who would when who he, would when who would go uh, there? You know, imagine a, a fan of Bayern Munich. You know, mm. who would deliberate deliberately deliberately is that word deliberately mm-hmm. like put his own club on fire with the <sighs> most like sc- like kind of scandal thing Scandalous. interview ever made. Rafa, tell us about your chat with Manuel Neuer. <laughs> I was a bit surprised by the reaction because I came out of the interview feeling, okay, this guy feels really hurt. Right. This is, you know, him saying, "You've, I'm already on one leg. You've basically cut off my other leg." Okay. So by, the, the comments which caused the controversy were about the fact that Bayern had fired the goalkeeping coach. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And his best friend, Tony Tapalovic. Uh huh. And. I think it sounds innocuous enough, you know, goalkeeping coach, does it really matter? I think I came away from that interview understanding that for him, but maybe goalkeepers in general, the relationship is a lot closer than just somebody putting out the cones for, you know, an outfield players. These guys worked together now for 11 years. When Neuer joined Bayern from Schalke, he insisted that Apalovic would come with him. Mm. Uh, Jupp Heynckes hired him at the time. Uh, making sure that he sort of fits the the coaching staff. And under Nagelsmann, Tapalovic was demoted from assistant coach. He'd been assistant coach, promoted under Hansi Flick and had really influence on the dressing room beyond working with the goalkeepers. And uh, that was sort of the beginning of the difficult relationship between Nagelsmann and Tapalovic. But the key point for Neuer is, I think what he was really saying is, this guy is really important to me. He's also important to me when it comes to getting fit again, having a real chance of playing at my best level again after this injury. And what do you do? You sack him the moment I'm at home on crutches in rehab. Right. And he felt very badly treated. And obviously, you know, Bayern are saying, the public are saying, why couldn't he have done this in-house? But they had talks. And I guess they didn't really 
go anywhere. So he felt he had to go public with that grievance. Okay, the injury, of course, is one not incurred in the course of playing football for Bayern, but rather while off skiing, which slightly lends a different take to it. But why do you think Bayern would have made the decision at, as Neuer points out, such a key moment for him to release the goalkeeping coach? Is it a sign that they don't actually plan a future with Neuer? You can interpret it that way, and I think that is the the suspicion and um, the anxiety, perhaps, that, you know, what what does that mean? Are they trying to get rid of me? Is this just, is it actually directed at me rather than him? But there's also, I think, more sort of banal reasons that it was no secret that Nagelsmann didn't get on with him. Nagelsmann um, said that we never really developed a good working relationship publicly. Mm. He There were some rumours that Neuer very strenuously denied that uh, Tapalovic was even leaking some information from the coaching staff to the players through Neuer. Um, again, Manuel was very clear that uh, that's never happened and had certainly hadn't happened on any of the other coaches. So on that level, you, as I said, you can understand Bayern saying we don't we want to change the goalkeeping coach. The, the, the head coach wants to bring somebody else in. But to do it in January, right? The timing yeah, to do it in the season and to do it when Manuel Neuer was injured um, left, I think, more than a sour taste. And just to add one more thing, Bayern were very critical of Neuer, as you'd expect. And they say, you know, the timing of this message was was really off. We have big games coming up, and I sympathise uh, with that view. At the same time, you fire the goalkeeping coach right now. Um, a few days later, he talks to the media. When do you want him to to do this? I right. mean, should he wait till the summer? You know, when is the next game that is not meaningful for Bayern? It could be only in in June when they play a friendly or in July. So, um, I get I get why the club were upset, of course, but it didn't read to me and didn't feel to me as it was meant as an attack on the club, right? As such, okay. Some people might hear this and think, okay, player unhappy because his his friend and colleague is, is fired. But ultimately, is it going to be a big deal for Bayern, or is when when Neuer's fit again, is he going to be back in? Or do you think that this is a bit of a turning point between Neuer and the club? It could be. I think they will still find a way to put away their disagreements and park them because there's no reason now for this to go any further. He is not playing. Mm. Mm. The goalkeeping coach. Unless you is do another interview with them, in which case. <laughs> yeah. Or they lose to PSG. Yeah. And then well, the explodes. goalkeeping coach is gone. Yeah. Neuer will not be back before the summer at the earliest. So the question is what's next doesn't really need to be answered now. Okay. I think Bayern will look very carefully. How does he come back? How does Sommer perform in his absence? Does not my, um, Alexander Nubel, the second keeper, want to come back from Monaco? And then you need to have that conversation. I think in the meantime, what they'll say is, look, Manuel, you're the captain. We probably understand some of the stuff you said. You shouldn't have said it. But remember your responsibilities. Just be quiet. 50,000 euros, go to a charity. You give that money anyway. And everyone walks away for a few months. But the the impact on the team, I think, is such that they don't really care so much about a keeper that is not playing. But Manuel Neuer is a very important person in the dressing room. And he's not the only one who I think doesn't have the closest relationship with Julian Nagelsmann. Right. So bringing that out into the open, I think, will encourage more journalists and more players, perhaps, to 
dig into those fault lines right. between the club, the team, and the team and the manager. Mm. And that's where the disquiet will, will come from. But it would have come anyway. Bayern is that kind of club. And if Nagelsmann loses against PSG, even with Neuen not saying a word, he would still under pressure. Right. Would still be under pressure. FC Hollywood. Mm. All right. Let's move on. Next up, La Liga. This is the Totally Football Show, sponsored by Live Score Bet, the home of squads. Squads is a weekly free-to-play game. You reveal five players across the week which make up your squad, and you can earn cash each time they score in the selected games. The cash amount is decided by Live Score Bet's prize wheel and can range from 10p up to £50 per goal, which you can spend once the final player is revealed. Find out more and play squads for yourself for free at LiveScoreBet.com or by downloading the Live Score Bet app on Android and iPhone. It's over 18s only and full terms and conditions apply. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Eredivisie. A lot of listeners wondering, which bald guy did Ajax appoint? Answer. You. No, no, George. Oh, that's a shame. I can pass over again. I'm too inconsistent. Yeah, that's very <laughs> that true. Was my, yeah. <laughs> Johnny Heitinger. Former Ajax player, of course, former centre-back. Not quite bald yet, but, you know, this is one for the future, I suspect. Well, at least he's uh, going to be there until the end of the season anyway. Uh, he got off to a great start as well. 5-0 victory over Cambour. So it's two straight wins for Ajax the, since they got rid of Schroeder. Uh, two straight wins with an aggregate score of nine goals scored and, and only one conceded. Very nice. They've moved up to third. One point behind uh, Izid Ankmar and three behind Feyenoord, who had quite the game on Sunday with PSV, Jules. Mm, incredible, James, because they were 2-0 down and then they somehow got to 2-2 in the 99th minute. Ali Reza, remember the former Brighton and Iranian international, scored the two goals and, and especially the one that got them a point. Incredible. They're doing really, really well. Certainly are. That's the Eredivisie. What about La Liga? Where Alvaro... Barcelona are now eight points clear after they thumped Sevilla 3-0. Yet another clean sheet. It's over. No I-Liga. No I-Liga. <laughs> and Real Madrid, meanwhile, got beat in Mallorca. Yeah. Let's go one by one because it was a very, very good weekend for Barcelona because Real Madrid dropped three points, as you said. Real Sociedad lost at home. And uh, if you believe that they were chasers, well, they are not anymore. Mm. And then uh, Atletico de Madrid drew as well in a very strange fashion, by the way, because if you have seen the highlights of the game, mm, Correa scored the opening goal for Atletico de Madrid. The goal was disallowed for, for offside. Uh, Simeone replaced Correa. 
and then the VAR gave the goal. And uh, Correa was already on the bench, and uh, all the players from Atletico and Simeone himself went to Correa just to congratulate him while he was already on the bench. So these things don't happen very often, but they will happen more often now with VAR, obviously. But yeah, it was a nice weekend for Barcelona, a very convincing win against the Sevilla that is in Sambles. I mean, the, the best thing for Sevilla right now is uh, to focus on La Liga, to win the home games, to forget about the Europa League. Uh, they've got a difficult tie, I would say, against uh, PSV and Doven. And um, Barcelona was very convincing this time. I mean, sometimes we have said that they were winning 1-0 and then uh, passing the ball around uh, after scoring the first one. Not this time. They were eager uh, to score the second and the third. Rafinha comes out as, as the winner of that game, probably a player who in the absence of Dembélé had a lot of responsibility and he scored the goal, he set up another one. I think that um, the defence is working very well and this is one of the keys of Barcelona. Ter Stegen to start with, uh, he's having a great season, only seven goals conceded, but there is more than that. I think that when Barcelona plays with Koundé, Araujo and Christensen, these three very competent defenders, the team feels safe. There is not an Eric Garcia, there is not a Clement Lenglet, there is not an Umtiti, you know, I'm talking about the bad version of Umtiti mm. in the team. So every player feels safe about having the ball. You can lose it and still there will be someone there, a ditch, uh, that actually can stop anybody. And Araujo is probably the biggest example of all of them, all of them because he is capable of uh, stopping players with his individual hierarchy. I mean, he's fast, he uses the elbows very well, the arms very well, like Kielini, he reminds me of him in that way. You know, a player who expertly uses his body and his arms, not making a fault, but stopping players. And, um, you know, it, it was a very good win for Barcelona. Only setback, Busquets picked an injury. He's going to be out for a couple of weeks, definitely. Uh, he's got a problem in, in his ankle. And um, he is very likely to miss the first leg against Manchester United. Mm, all right. Problems for Sevilla. They remain two points above the drop. Even worse off than them are Valencia, only one point above the bottom three. Valencia picked up their third straight defeat. Yeah. And look, there is not much more much more to add to what I said about Valencia last week. Mm. Obviously, Boro didn't start with a win. Mm. But, uh, you know, this is a side that has never been relegated since the 80s. So, you know, we have seen Sevilla, Atletico, Betis, many good sides going down to the second division. And Valencia has been always there with Athletic Club, with Barcelona, with um, Real Madrid in the top flight since the 80s. And now there is a real chance that they could be relegated. I think that one of the relegation spots is going to be for Elche, despite them winning their first game of the season this weekend. But, uh, you know, then there are two more places there and Valencia is one of the candidates, unfortunately for them. Indeed. All right. Real Madrid beaten 1-0 away at Real Mallorca. Real Madrid with no goals and only one shot on target. That was the penalty yeah. which Marco Asensio failed to convert. Yeah, mm, it was a bitter one for Marco Asensio because he played for Mallorca. He is from there. And, um, you know, he, he couldn't capitalize. That was his chance to put Real Madrid back in the game after Mallorca uh, scored uh, a goal. Oh, el balón suelto. Se le quedó atrás a Jaume Costa. Juega nuevamente Dani Rodríguez. Balón para Morique. Gol, 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 
it was a very good performance by Mallorca, has to be said. Javier Aguirre, the manager of Mallorca, uh, is uh, very good uh, preparing individual games and the marking on Vinicius was very strict mm. uh, with Maceo and Raillo. Uh, to the point that Vinicius uh, lost his temper during the game. Mm, it's been a difficult month for Vinicius. I would like to single out this man because, you know, not only the racist abuse uh, that he got uh, ahead of uh, El Derby de Madrid, but also this weekend he got more racist abuse. The cameras of Dazón, one of the uh, right holders of La Liga, spotted um, an audio, not a video, unfortunately, of a fan just uh, shouting Vinicius, you are a monkey. And uh, La Liga has already reported this. Uh, Mallorca is trying to chase this fan to find out, to identify who he is. Mm. But... Uh, the abuse on Vinicius is not only racial, but I think that some players, they, they are going a little bit beyond the line or over the line just to stop him. Vinicius is the player in uh, the five European leagues that has received more faults. He's also the way he plays because he dribbles past, he takes on players. But, um, you know, the Vinicius case is uh, becoming quite toxic for everyone. Carl, Carl Heisai actually writing in about this saying... Um it was exceptional how much he was kicked and jeered. I don't recall ever seeing this for any other player. And says, Carl, it feels like this has come out of nowhere. It's been going on for a while, though. Yeah. It was fouled it was fouled ten times, I think, in the game. And when they played Barcelona, I think they made nine fouls on the whole Barcelona team in that game, compared wow. to just ten for just Vini at the weekend. That's true. At the same time, Barcelona doesn't have dribbles. No, no, true. Uh, but dribblers still, like, but Benito, still, for a whole team compared to one, one player. It, look, and even more so, uh, there is a player, Maceo. He plays for. Mallorca as a right back and Maffeo takes very personally the games in which he's playing against a superstar. Mm. In fact, uh, there is a video going around uh, of Maffeo marking Lionel Messi and them both just insulting each other. Maffeo was taking marking personally, uh, Messi very personally. And he did the same thing with Vinicius, to the point that after the game, he retweeted his defensive numbers against Vinicius because he was very proud of them. Nothing wrong with that. The referee is there to stop an aggressive player. I think that Maffeo just took the game very seriously. But Vinicius is being targeted now. That's mm. the thing, that in the last uh, 10 games, many right-backs and many defenders have targeted these players. And also Gabriel Paulista, uh, not long ago, kicked Vinicius... Uh, out of desperation, perhaps. The only defender that actually haven't uh, put a fight with Vinicius lately has been our right-back, Athletic de Bilbao, Oscar de Marcos, because he is very soft. But the rest of the right-backs, they are spotting Vinicius as the weak link. They know that he can actually not lose his temper when he receives a fault, but when he receives many, he tries to dribble more and more, just right. to prove a point. And that is going in detriment of Real Madrid. All that said, the racial abuse is totally unacceptable. And... Uh, you know, we have to tackle this. As you say, Alvaro, it needs to be sorted out, but whatever measures have been taken so far are clearly not having any impact. Uh, are the league taking stock of that? Are they are they ramping up their efforts at good, all? Good question. Look, to start with, Real Madrid TV is uh, always spotting this. Right. In their previews of the games, the post-game reactions, the post-game analysis, and Real Madrid TV is, po is reporting this, or they are spotting this. Fine, fair enough, but this is their their um, media channel. Then La Liga can only report this, but then uh, it's down to the provincial um, court to file this or to actually try to do something about this. So, for example, when... Uh, it's not a sporting matter? No, La Liga can only report this. 
And then, uh, for example, do you remember uh, before... They can't, for example, have sanctions against the clubs, like close a part of the stadium or anything like that? They they can do it, but if uh, nothing is... For example, what happened at the Metropolitano mm. uh, before the Madrid derby back in October, I believe, was outside the ground. Then Atletico doesn't take uh, responsibility for that. Right. Uh, because it's outside the ground. La Liga reported it, but a provincial court from Madrid thought that it, there was not enough evidence, that it was impossible to identify who said that, right. and therefore they filed it. This is the thing, that this is happening. I mean, La Liga has reported uh, various racial abuses on Vinicius over the last years, uh -huh. but nothing has come into effect, really. So, you know, we have this dynamic right now. Okay, I, I'm, I must admit, I'm probably not understanding that correctly because I, I don't understand why the league can't take measures themselves against the clubs. Yeah, they can they can take measures, of course. But right. uh, first of all, it's the clubs that normally they try to take measures. Uh -huh. They try to take measures. So if they try and they, they if they try to identify who that for example right. that person is, normally they they just kick out this uh, supporter from the club and they right. remove his season ticket holder, uh, season ticket. But um, you know, with the Mallorca thing, I don't think La Liga is going to do anything, but Mallorca will try to find, identify this person. Right. And, you know, maybe there is a financial uh, penalty. There could be, but... Uh, or it could just be filed away. I, have to, I mean, y you're behind what Italy are doing on, on racism, and that, that's never a great place to be. <laughs> no, it's not. Um, it's not. Of course it's not. And uh, the thing is that uh, it didn't only happen to Vinicius. It happened to Iñaki Williams not too long ago right. at Espanol Ground as well. So, yeah, there is a lot to learn. Definitely, definitely. Wow. Uh, Real Madrid are flying off to... In fact, they have flown off to the Club World Cup. They're playing Wednesday, are they not? They're playing against uh, Al-Hali. Right. And, um, you know, I think that uh, it's all set for a final against Flamengo. I think that that could happen. Flamengo has a very, very good squad. Real Madrid obviously wants to win this tournament. It's perhaps a little bit inconvenient for them right now because they've got many players in the sidelines and I, I'm sure that they could do with the rest. Okay. Thibaut Courtois, Karim mm. Benzema and some others are not traveling, even though Courtois and Benzema are not totally written off for a potential final. But yeah, this tournament obviously is something that Real Madrid wants to win and I think that Flamengo will take this very, very seriously because normally Brazilian clubs does, do and uh, Flamengo has a really good squad. So Benzema hasn't flown out yet but he might fly out for the final. He might. In the kind of echoes of the French World Cup. Jules, yeah, similar. Courtois is the yeah. same, Militao yeah. as well. Right. Let's see first if they qualify. There's no point making them travel. You know, they can't play the semi-final and then if they lose the semi-final, which they won because, you know, Alahey is... It's a good team, but it's not good enough. Uh, do you know who is in Real Madrid's squad? Uh, the son of uh, Santiago Cañizares. Mm. Do you remember Cañizares? Yeah, he played for Spain. He also played for Real Madrid, for Valencia. And uh, his son is a goalkeeper as well. So he's there in the squad because, obviously, as we said, Thibaut Courtois can't play uh, the first game. All right. Look forward to seeing how they get on there in Morocco. Woo! Let's hear about Liga next. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. 
tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. You're listening to the Totally Football Show with James Richardson, sponsored by LifeScore Bet. You can get the latest football betting odds at LifeScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Hey, Jules. Hey, Jimbo. Liga. Oh, I see your team Paris Saint-Germain got a win and then Woo-hoo! another one. So midweek, you yeah. beat Montpellier. Somehow. Ooh, but it was a Pyrrhic victory. Pyrrhic. It was. Because Mbappe, after that comedy penalty attempt, yeah. went off injured and he's going to be out for how long? Three weeks. That's the thing. <laughs> Although in Munich, they don't believe it. Oh, like really? Usman says that they're playing poker. He's going to be there for the first leg in Paris. Don't believe. I don't believe what they're saying. Right. I, I, I like it. I love it that Nagelsmann is coming out strong like that. I think uh-huh. he's got a point to a certain extent. Galtier, after the game against Montpellier, said, well, mm, it doesn't look serious. It's, you know, we don't think he's that bad. And then the next day, he did some scans. And then they say, oh, he's out for three weeks. So what we know for sure is that he hasn't played. He hasn't trained since the injury. Uh, and I guess if he trains, we, people will know and then he will he would come out and then Bayern will know that he's back at least training. So there's a chance that he plays. But if he doesn't train before the game next week, he's not gonna, obviously not obviously going to play. Mm. How did he get injured? It was a, a tackle by uh, Leo Leroy, who's the son of Jérôme, talking about sons, sons of Jérôme Leroy, who used to mm. play for PSG and played for Marseille as well and other clubs. It, it's just a tackle where he missed the ball, tackled him and then... Mbappe still on the floor. It looked like his hamstring is a little bit damaged and the back of his knee as well. So it's not, you know, it was not, it, yeah. He, after the two penalty that he missed uh, and his face, like, yeah, I looked straight away that it didn't look good. Right. Well, this weekend they were without him and Neymar Jr. That's right. But who should be back this midweek when they play Marseille in the Cup. That's right. Yeah. Fresh from a victory this weekend without Neymar, without Mbappe, but with Leo Messi taking care of business against Toulouse. Yes, you're right. They won 2-1. He scored a fantastic goal, very Messi-esque goal. And it's funny because Galtier has been very open since he took over the job in the summer. said like, well, basically the, the tactic were very simple for that game. It was like, give the ball to Messi and mm. just let, let him do what he wants. And it's... I mean, I don't think I ever heard Pep Guardiola saying, yeah, give the ball to Messi and then, you know, things will happen. I, I know I know this is, you know, this is what you can Jules do. Is, but he's won his last two games. Give him a break, Galtier. Uh, it was not, it, do you know what? We were 1-0 down. It was not convincing. We needed two amazing goals from Ashraf Hakimi and then Messi to win against Toulouse. And even if Messi hit the post as well, so right. there were more chances. Twice, and they could no? have, Yeah, and they could have scored more goals. They could have conceded more as well. Mm. So it was again very, very like laboured win. It's not. It's just not convincing. And okay. Neymar is be, would be back, and I, I think he would play against Bayern. I don't know what system. I don't know how, but it's just without Mbappe, it's very, very different. Messi's goal is lovely though, because people are doing their best, you know, <clears throat> skills and that, and he just wanders up and, and curls. Just kind of like a man who's kind of strolling along through the park and a ball comes whizzing by and he just, I'll, yeah. I'll stick this over there in that far corner. He's got double digit in goals and assists now in the Wolf. league this season. Okay. Anyway, PSG are now eight points clear of Lens and Marseille. And Marseille is the side they're facing in the cup midweek. Marseille coming off a 3-1 defeat. They're very lucky. Do you think? Yeah, because for, for a title race and we see in Germany... Yeah. 
you need the teams behind to keep putting the pressure. And instead, when PSG lose points or draw, or even when they win, the others drop points as well. Marseille hadn't lost at home since November. Right. They went on so a great run of results. Yeah, I was just going to say that that's exactly what happened to this weekend. They lost at home to Nice yeah. in a big game. In a big game where Igor Tudor, who we've praised and we, we love him dearly, but he got it wrong this time. It happens. It happens to the best ones. His starting 11 was wrong to start Vitinha, the new, the new signing from Braga for 32 million, the most expensive player ever, by the way, when he's just arrived, when Alexis Sanchez, I'm, I don't really think, needed a, a rest or anything like that. And he came on at halftime because they, they had to change something. They were two goals down. Uh, Malinowski on the bench as well, uh, with Ganduzi playing a little bit higher up. That didn't work too. So I think this one is, is on to door. And it's, it's okay, it can happen. It's mm. just that it's at the wrong time. And three days before you host PSG in the cup, it's just not ideal. So he's going to go back to his strongest 11 with Alexis in it, with Malinowski in it, with Veretout and Rongier, who were also somehow on the bench for that game. And, and that would be better, I think. And this should be an amazing game with huge crowd. And we know that Marseille, you know, have won only one in the last 18 or something like that against mm. PSG. It's crazy that, that win they got with the Tovin goal on the Payet assist at the, at the Parc des Princes a couple of years ago. But... But usually they don't win, so this is this is a big opportunity for them because I I, I think with the, the home support and without Mbappe they they have to go for it. All right, Jules, well just to wrap up, uh, was there anything else or because I was going to mention um, like we Remy. said that Marseille lost for the first time in a very long time at home. Rennes yeah. as well, they were oh. beaten by Lille and our friend Paulo Fonseca. Oui. A really really good game uh, from Lille from Andre Gomez, the former Everton player, who was outstanding. Uh, plus all the the young players that that they have and to go and win in, in Rennes, who hadn't lost at home since October. It's pretty remarkable. So, you know, great job from them uh, who coming back into into kind of the fold for the, the six now, only two points behind Rennes for the for the Europa League places and Europa Conference League places. And then Monaco also won again this time against Clermont. They're two points only behind Marseille and Lens, by the way. Ten behind PSG, but just two behind Lens. So we have a, we're going to have a fight as well for second, third and fourth place. So this is cool. Nice. And a big shout out to Lloyd Remy. Former Chelsea, uh, former Newcastle, former QPR, former Crystal Palace striker, like Remy, mm-hmm. who has just made Brest the 14th club of his professional career. That's right, with Eric Roy, if I remember the former Sunderland uh, midfielder who's now the manager there. Let's see how, how um, Loic Remy does. They're fighting against relegation in the bottom of the table where Angers, remember, we said they was one of the worst teams ever. They lost their 13th game in a row in midweek, which meant that they are uh, the worst ever now officially team in French football history uh, but then they drew at the weekend nil-nil and they were actually the better team away at Lorient so, so well done to them and, and just to finish talking about former players who played in Liga and, and the Premier League remember Yaya Sanogo who was at Arsenal oui. who scored against yes. Bayern Munich by the, the striker way. no? yeah, yeah striker yeah. just yeah. signed in Armenia okay he hadn't had a club for 18 months and he went I think even maybe the second division in Armenia or something crazy like that so you know Armenian the football love news. Football. Love well, it. Was he not a French uh, star in the under 17? Yeah, yeah, yeah he was yeah, an incredible yeah, talent yeah, as a yeah, young yeah, age, yeah, yeah. but then didn't really have the career that the talent that we saw young like looked like it was going right. to be. Inconsistency, that's what. Maybe, you know, yeah. a bit like you and hockey. It's like, yeah, <laughs> I would love to be inconsistent. <laughs> <laughs> love to. So, <clears throat> excellent. Well, there you go. Just one last stop for us on our tour of European football this week, and that is with James Horncastle and Syria. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is the Totally Football Show, part of The Athletic Podcast Network. James Horncastle, hello. Hello, James. All right, you're heading off to Milan? That's correct where the big story is. Sunday night, the derby. Yeah. It's easy to be distracted by how bad Milan were, but let's talk about Inter first of all because they've beaten Milan twice in a month, but they also beat Napoli. As you were pointing out, Sunday night, this is an Inter team that used to be famous for blowing the big games, but now they win them. Yeah, uh, particularly since the turn of the year. Uh, we all got quite excited, at least those of us who wanted a title race, when they uh, came back in 2023 and beat uh, Napoli at San Siro. Napoli had been undefeated uh, up until that point. Uh, they beat an Atlanta, knocking them out of the cup. Um, and they obviously beat uh, Milan not only at the weekend in the league, but also in the Super Cup uh, with a handsome 3-0 scoreline. So Inter are looking good. There's probably more to come from them as well. Uh, Romelu Lukaku came on in the last 15-20 minutes of the game on Sunday night and actually played pretty well. Um, Forced a save from uh, Tatu Usanu. Uh, Brozovic is back as well. So, you know, on paper, those are two of Inter's best players. And they, they haven't been part of the team, really, for four months. Um, so, that's encouraging. But what's it all for in the end? Ultimately, it feels like it's to be considered the best of the rest. Because <laughs> Napoli is so far ahead of everybody else. Uh, and... Maybe they go on a, a, a bit of a run in the Champions League as well. They've got uh, Porto coming up in, what, 10 days' time? Porto, the Serie A slayers, uh, really, under Sergio Conceição. Um, but Inzaghi's a, a very good cup manager. He's missed a Super Cup. I think he's won the Super Cup five times between professional men's first team and Lazio youth team. And obviously won the Coppa Italia Super Cup last year. So, um, so yeah, pretty encouraging if you're an Interista. Certainly. And the form of uh, Lautaro Martinez equally. So seven goals in eight matches now. His current yeah. scoring run. <laughs> Spedendo la sfera alle spalle di Tatarusano all'altezza del primo palo. 
Cialanoglu siamo al minuto 34 nel corso del primo tempo ha segnato l'Inter ha segnato Lautaro Martinez Osimen meanwhile at Napoli as they continue there Fantastic season. He got two goals at the weekend. He's now on seven goals in five. Napoli 13 points clear of Inter at the top of the table. Milan, meanwhile, outside of the top four. So they're they're out of the Champions League positions. They've lost four straight games, scoring just two goals in those matches and conceding 13. They've torn up in the work with Arrigo Sacchi. Four years of hard work. What... And what kind of basis is there for Pioli to kind of rebuild from here? Where, where, where are we now with him? Well, the board still wants him to turn this around. They're grateful for the job that he did, not just last year when he won the league for the first time since 2011, but um, the kind of constant upward trajectory that um, the club has had over two and a half years. Um, but uh, everything he's trying at the moment is not working. Um, you know, he changed the system. Uh, and this is what Arrigo Sacchi was critical of in Gazzetta della Sport on Monday was that you know you've spent all this time building an identity with this Milan team, which is to play four-two-three-one, high pressing, be a very attacking team. And in what is the biggest game uh, for Milanisti uh, every calendar year, you decide to play three at the back. You sit back. You're really passive. You don't have a shot on target, um, and if that was your kind of move to kind of stir Milan back into life, it, it did not work in the most emphatic way possible. So, uh, look, they've got uh, a game on Friday night. Uh, they're playing earlier so that they can prepare for Tottenham, um, who will be visiting San Siro on, on Valentine's Day. Um, and that's the only sign of progress that Milan have got uh, so far this season is is reaching the knockout stages of the Champions League because um, they're not going to retain their title. They're out of the cup. Um, Torino, who were down to 10 men, knocked them out in extra time, lost the Super Cup. Um, so ultimately it comes down to what they do in the Champions League and whether they can get back into the Champions League, which mm. um, at the moment looks pretty tricky. And... Uh, Aside from you know your Pochettinos and your Thomas Tuchels, who are used to earning either Paris Saint-Germain money or Premier League money, it's you look around the kind of the coaching market at the moment, and it's pretty difficult to find somebody um, who would represent uh, uh, an upgrade to use football speak on mm. on Pioli. So they're patient. I think they're trying to be patient with him. Right. I mean, there is a job still to be done. They're only just outside the top four, but it is the the way in which they're playing, which which, which yeah, suggests boring. something of a kind of dislocation between manager and team. Now, elsewhere, James, you got a piece up today on Juve and their current travails off the field, some of which might make quite interesting for Manchester City supporters, of course, some parallels between those two cases. But uh, so a rare bit of good news for the old lady last week when they went through in the Coppa Italia quarterfinals against Lazio, although there was one moment uh, that their manager, Max Allegri, didn't find too enjoyable. <laughs> yeah, uh, Allegri lost it, um, to say the least. You know, he's, he's usually quite a calm coach, quite zen-like, uh, and, and likes to see the light side of, of everything. Um, so even with this 15-point penalty um, that Juventus have got, you know, he was, he was talking up 
uh, I think, was it tonight or Wednesday's game against Salernitana? No, tonight, yeah, yeah. Tuesday night they play Salernitana. As, yeah. as a relegation six-pointer. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, he, he lost it when Di Maria missed that chance against Lazio. And, uh, I mean, we've seen him do it occasionally before, famously kind of tearing off his jacket and throwing it to the ground in Juventus' last game before Christmas against Carpi. Uh, a few a few years ago because he didn't want didn't want the team to spoil his Christmas holidays and uh, yeah look ultimately the team still made it through to the uh, the semi-finals of the the Coppa Italia it's a chance for Juventus to win a trophy um, and uh, you know that you can get into Europe by winning the Coppa Italia um, so wherever Juventus end up in the league um, wherever they're playing next year they could still be in Europe so right could if- be interesting if they're allowed to, yeah. All well, right, the yes. other semi-final, intriguingly, is Fiorentina, who put out uh, Torino last week, against Cremonese. Cremonese, who are the only side anywhere in the top five European leagues without a league win so far this season, but who have, mysteriously in the cup, managed to beat Napoli, and now last week, Roma. And they're taking on Napoli again in the league this Sunday night. Uh, we were saying last Sunday on, on, on the Galatasaray on BT, w- wouldn't it be just like Serie A? if they were to pick up their first win of the season against the league leaders. It, shades of Benevento a season or, or, or two ago. But, um, but yeah, uh, Cremonese, what a remarkable story. Yeah, I mean, uh, again, uh, I think even Neapolitans, um, who are a superstitious bunch, uh, look at them and think uh, the stars are aligning because Cremonese last reached the semifinals of the Coppa Italia in 86-87, which uh, coincidentally was also the first time that Napoli ever won the league. So... Um, yeah, they'll they'll take that. Um, but uh, yeah, remarkable uh, run, really, particularly when you think that uh, the cup was opening up for Roma. They played the second division Genoa uh, in the round before. They then played Cremonese, so it looked like it was going to be a fairly straightforward route to the semi-finals for for Roma. And you'd back them to to maybe knock out uh, Fiorentina. Um, and uh, alas, no, because uh, Cremonese upset them. And yeah, Mourinho had been criticising this competition, saying it's the worst cup competition in world football um, because <laughs> because the top teams come in in the kind of round of 16 stage and they all get to play at home. So all the underdogs, it, yeah, the, the, the odds are stacked against them even more because they have mm. to go away, which makes Cremonese's feet all the more remarkable certainly so it does um, uh, but yeah so we'll see what, what see what see what happens when they play napoli on on the weekend Mourinho calling this the worst cup competition in, in the world gazetta calling roma's performance in the quarterfinal against cremonese the worst one they've had under jose Mourinho, even worse than the bodo glimp disaster yeah because while bodo i think beat them three times out of four because they played them in the group and then they played them in the knockout stages the quarterfinals um that's humiliating defeat that they had in the Arctic Circle at least came early in a group stage so they could recover. They weren't eliminated by it. Whereas this, um, they were out. And yeah, disappointing because at that time, uh, it was quite easy to project that Roma might get to a final and Lazio, who was still yet to be knocked out by Juventus, could get to a final. And so Romanisti were already seeing this kind of Roma-Lazio final uh, a decade on from the final that they played and, and Roma humiliatingly lost, which is mm. something Lazio hold 
against them. And they just thought, imagine, you know, sort of Mourinho winning a Coppa Italia, uh, which was also a Derby della Capitale. Um, but ultimately, Roma and Lazio are no longer in this competition, so that's not going to happen. So, Dreams. Dreams. Vanish like tears in the rain. Anyway, all right. Well, listen, James, have a great time in Milan. What's your, what's your mission in Milan? Uh, I've got some meetings. Nice. Um, and uh, hopefully got a couple of interviews. Eat a few on paninis. Thursday. Eat a few paninis, yeah. Some panzerotti and some uh, risotto milanese. Or some, yeah. Um, so, so, yeah. But, uh, all right. Uh, yeah. Cards close to the chest, but you'll be able to mm. find all the details soon enough, exclusively in The Athletic. All right, James Hawkins, I have a buon viaggio e ci sentiamo presto. Ciao, ciao. James Horncastle. Excellent. All right, guys. Well, loads to look forward to this weekend. Any game in particular we should keep an eye out for from the Bundesliga, La Liga, or Ligue 1, Jules? There's Monaco PSG on Saturday afternoon that, wow. you know, the Bayern fans and Nagelsmann and everybody are going to watch. Where Monaco, where PSG don't do well usually. And without Kylian Mbappe as well, that, that should be good. And, and with we one said, eye on Bayern. Yeah, yeah. And we've said Monaco, um, you know, uh, doing really well at the moment. So if PSG don't win against Marseille in the Cup and are knocked out, mm. then it's a tricky trip to uh, to the Côte d'Azur again on the Riviera for the Monaco clash. Uh, Leipzig against Union, James. Oh, yeah, that's nice. Fourth against second. Mm. Yeah, a That's big a one. big, yeah. Big game. All right. What wins that, Raf? Saturday. Saturday evening. Saturday, 11th of February, the Club World Cup final. <gasps> of course. Ooh. Who knows? Maybe Who knows? it's an Alali versus... Al Hilal. Al Hilal. That but it could be Real Madrid Flamengo. That would be extraordinary. Yeah. But I think it's going to be Real Madrid Flamengo. I'm really looking forward to that. Me too. European Abro. teams have won it since 2006. I think they haven't lost hmm? against the, the European teams mm. have won the Club World Cup mm. since. Two, I Wait, think no, since no, no. Chelsea lost it in 2012. Oh, 2012. All right. Lots to look forward to at the weekend and then on Tuesday when we get the band back together. For a bit of Euro analysis. Many thanks for today, Rafa, Alvaro, Jules, and James, and guest producer Jesse, and you listener. We'll see you in a week's time from all of us here. It's goodbye. You've been listening to the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Discover bonus video content by searching for the Totally Football Show on YouTube and see the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an athletic media company production and sponsored by LiveScoreBet. Get the latest football betting odds at LiveScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. The Athletic.